0: Beat you over the head with our opinion, and we listen to yours. The new face of talk radio, Voice America Women's Radio Network.
1: to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone.
2: Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. Thanks for joining us this morning on Voice America Women's Network. I am your social worker with the microphone. And joining me this morning, as always, is my co-host, Lauren Beller. How are you this morning, Lauren?
3: Good morning, Catherine. I am very good. We're good. on the
2: aftermath of big storms, but it's clean and clear and beautiful. And Cool. All right, well, we're cool to go because we have four guests this morning, and the theme of the show is taking the plunge, and uh, I think it's very appropriate. My first guest, I'm really excited to have her on the show, is Barbara Corcoran, and Barbara is one of the leading real estate experts in the country, and obviously she's also right here in New York State, and she's just... Written her latest book called Nextville, and what she tells us is how to, uh, you know, I'm part of the baby boomer, so are you. I think there are 77 million baby boomers. She's going to tell us what the trend is and where we're going to live next. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on, Barbara. Thank
4: you. You're making me sound like a fortune teller, and that is not <laughs>
2: <laughs> trends. I did say trends. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, and you are the expert, and you've had so much experience. And are you a baby boomer?
4: I certainly am. I'm going to be sixty, so I'm smack in the middle, I believe.
2: All right, so we're the same age. I'm sixty, also. Well, all right. So, trend baby boomers, where are we moving to? Uh, you know, and what are the kind of the rules of engagement? What makes it? What motivate us? What motivates us to move to where we're ever going to go, or where we're going to go after retirement, or as a part of retirement, or next job, or? What's the trend?
4: Okay, well, there are a lot of trends out there, none of which I knew when I started the research for the book. What I really wanted to do is simply write a book on the absolute greatest places for different categories. For example, if you were a biker, what's the single best place you could retire where everyone there loves biking, or whether it be checkers, or whether it be a nudist colony, or whether it be treehouse living? So I was looking for all those niche places to satisfy people. In the end, many of those places, of course, made it into the book. Many were thrown out because I found that they didn't fit uh, enough uh, demo- enough people who wanted uh, certain areas. All right. So what I did find, however, is the whole concept of retiring has indeed changed. So it was a wonderful education process to learn this. And people are looking at retirement now entirely differently than they ever did before, thank God, because I interviewed so many people who were miserable in retirement or lonely in retirement or one in six people I spoke with left where they moved to retirement and went back home with their tails dragging. So I thought there's got to be a method to this madness where people are going to pick the next 30 or 40 years of their lives, sometimes half their adult life, and do a better job of picking the right place.
2: All right, so how do we do that? Because you talk about living happily ever after, and we don't want to be one of those six who moves to Florida and says, what am I doing here, and you know, have to and leave. So you actually have ten rules for living happily ever after in your book.
4: Yes, I do, and even more helpful than the rules, because the rules were arrived at based on talking and learning from so many people. But even before the rules, I think the single best part of the book, and of course I'm selling here, yes. but why not? But I, really, <laughs> but I think the single best part of the book is that little quiz that took me so long to develop. It's a simple how to live, ever, how to live happily ever after quiz. And all it is is a series of 30 multiple choice questions which have nothing to do with places or, or even people for that matter. But when you answer those questions for yourself and pick your little multiple choices, in the end, I'm certain. That I've pinpointed you as to what kind of individual you individual you are in terms of what pot of people you fall into that it's going to make you happy, and once that's arrived at, it's simply a matter of reading the. The group of places that I recommend specifically for that type of individual is roughly 20 for each type of individual.
2: So Barbara, you make it very easy for us. All we have to do is go out and buy the book next bill,
4: and <laughs> that's right. we won't
2: make these horrible mistakes that many of our, our, our uh, compadres have made. But one of the things you do talk about is that fear. I mean, that's the that's the thing that holds us back. I mean, wanting to even the, if we want to move, and even if we you know we buy the book, we take the quiz, but there's that nagging fear of should we do it? How do we get over that?
4: Well, I think um, what gets in the way of all of us making changes very often is lack of information. Uh, Very often I found that people, even in making local real estate moves, don't really have a firm handle on uh, how much money they're going to get out of their house, what it's going to cost them to live there, whether or not their kids will want to visit them once they get there, whether or not they'll make friends when they get there whether they'll be lonely or not, even something simple as, what do I do with the dog? I mean, these are all unanswered small questions in and of themselves, some more important than others. But I think in not uh, addressing, making the list of uh, specifically what's comprising that general sense of fear and then going about answering those questions, finding the answers for that, I think that stops people. And... Coupled with that, one of the large things that came into play over and over again is disagreement with your spouse or other loved one as to uh, what you wanted out of life versus them. Many men saw retirement as a chance to kick back and relax, hang out in the hammock, whereas many women who had raised children uh, the better part of their adult life, really felt they wanted to uh, make new friends and have more activities and add dimension to their life. So many couples were diametrically opposed to one another when it came time to supposedly having the most relaxing years of their lives.
2: So, Barbara, how do they resolve that? Because I think that's a key issue that you bring up. I mean, you have two you know, men and women have different goals and objectives no when they retire. So did you? are there any unique kinds of ways of resolving that between spouses?
4: Well, partners? sadly, like in all of marriage, I think all of us have learned that the only way to resolve anything is by being uh, having an open ear to the other person's perspective and compromising. But I think compromising has a bad rap. When people say compromise, like, "Oh, I didn't really get what I wanted," you know, I had to cave in, so to speak. But truly, I had I took my little quiz and I tested it against so many couples and I found rarely were couples uh, on the same page with, with each other. So then I had to revamp the damn quiz all over again <laughs> to try to figure out, okay, how do you marry so that the compromise becomes a form of a place, and that place is very exciting for each person. And so we reworked that quiz until we were able to really hammer out um, a, a method where people could arrive on the same page. So one person might be all about their passion in life whatever that might be versus they just want to pass their time and someone else might be all about uh, the the people that surround them versus the palm trees and how pretty everything looks. And uh, someone else might be uh, totally open to going overseas to have an exciting, totally changed way of life. Whereas someone else maybe want to wants to stay put and be close to their family and friends they've already established. So those you could picture. Those are four different types. But truthfully, if you take that little quiz, they do overlap. There are places truly where you could. Uh, satisfy your passion, but also stay at home, and that's a category of people I call boomerangs. So you and your husband might be perfectly suited to be a boomerang where you stay close to your home, but maybe get a smaller home and retrofit it so that you don't have to move again when you're getting up into your older years, and retrofitting today, by the way, is so sexy, it used to be like a dep- depressing thought to to... Vamp your, revamp your home for older years. People, people picture those bars to help you get into showers. That's totally changed. But you can stay at home and yet also have a home, for example, and this might sound like a stretch in Panama City, where for $200,000, it's, you can buy a four-bedroom home with terraces on the ocean, and meals only cost 10 to $12 at the best restaurants, and the government doesn't charge you real estate taxes for the first 20 years you're there, which is a long time, so you have virtually no condominium charges, and it has a nightlife to rival South Beach. So if you have that racy heart inside you that wants to just have this exciting, exotic lifestyle but have great hospitals, which, by the way, there they're run by uh, the American hospitals that has the best health care in most of the entire world.
2: Well, you, you convinced can, me. I mean, you, it sounds great. <laughs> you know, well,
4: you could do it part-time is what I'm saying. So yeah. let's say you you have a husband who wants to stay at home in his Lazy Boy chair, but you're itching to go and, and have the life of South Beach but can't afford that, you've got alternatives there. Both people could be made happy. So that's kind of how I approached it with a firm reality in my head that most of us marry our opposites and very often our aspirations are opposite to one another.
2: Well, this is also what you have. It reminds me of in your Ten Rules to Living Happily Ever After, one of the things is it's in a way, you know, you're describing this house. Um, Of testing the waters, I mean, of going there and going back and forth, but not necessarily moving full-time, but at some point, maybe you'll want to do that, but test the waters first.
4: Oh, I think renting is a much better idea than buying anywhere you go, because it's a big deal to buy clothes and expensive, and then to sell, close with all those closing fees and move back. So renting is a great idea. And even if that's too risky for someone, they think, "My gosh, that's too much of a mouthful for my personality." You could also trade your home. The the web trade sites for house swapping are growing by leaps and bounds. You could just list your home for a swap for that particular area, and the amount of inquiry you get, as long as you're within range of a larger city, you know, you can't be in the middle of a farm country where you can't get to, but that as the exception, you could simply trade your house either for a week, two weeks, or even a month, and that's a way of really living in uh, the shoes of the individual who's really in that community, not at the nice hotel there, but really living there and seeing the day-to-day life. So I think uh, trial runs are a real healthy way to go. Yeah, I think
2: they're, and I've done that myself, because I think you're right on target. I'll rent a place in the summer for two or three summers and then after that i don't want to be there anymore and i want to go to another beach or i want to go someplace else and i have the option to do that have always done that i think that works out so well i mean i think that's very creative want everyone to know obviously buy the book it's a great book next bill amazing places to live the rest of your life barbara corcoran and you have a a great website too we can go to you can purchase the book online in bookstores everywhere surely Um, that's easy BarbaraCorcoran.com. And also, there's a Nextville website that's coming up, isn't
4: there? Yes, there is. So if you just click in Nextville.com, I believe that's maybe even already up and running. Running. I've been at the beach a few days. I haven't checked.
2: Are you (laughs) renting or buying?
4: Oh, no, no, no. Well, I rented my home uh, probably for five years before I actually bought it, and my husband the whole time complained. He said, we could have paid off the mortgage by now, and he was (laughs) right. But let me tell you, we could have been wrong, too. And so that's behind us. We have the great house. We know we love it because we certainly tried it enough. And so we're very happy to be there. And we're one of those couples that has one foot in the city and one foot at the beach. And for us, we feel like we have a great life that way because we have two pieces that are so opposite one another and it keeps us both happy most of the time.
2: You've got the best of both. Sometimes. Thanks so much for being on the show this morning, Barbara.
4: My pleasure. Thanks yeah. for having me.
2: Great having you on the show. Next Phil, don't forget to go out, get the book. It's a great book. It's a fun book. And it's also as Barbara said, you know, Lauren, people I think they make they don't make good mistakes or good choices because they don't have the information. You need the information. Don't be afraid to get it. Um, We've got 30 seconds left. We're going to take a short break. Catherine Zox, Lauren Beller, my co-host on Voice America Women's Network. Thanks for joining us this morning. I'm your social worker with a microphone.
0: We talk with you, not at you. We're Voice America Women's Radio Network, the new face of talk radio. Are the days passing by faster than you can believe? Do your kids, job, pets, family, errands, and life demands leave no time left for you? Listen to Life Tune-Ups with Lauren Slocum each week. You can have it all, balance it, and truly enjoy your life. Be ready to have fun, laugh, and learn from celebrities and everyday heroes. We don't need an entire life overhaul, just a little bit of tweaking for our lives to be what we want. Life Tune-Ups with Lauren Slocum, every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on the Voice
5: America Women's Network.
0: Your life is waiting for you.
5: Experts say everybody is addicted to something. Did you know that addiction affects about 15% of our country's middle class population? How many people do you know who are dependent on some kind of substance? Would you guess your friends, your neighbors? How about your family? You may be surprised. Many of us live with chronic pain, which has made us drug dependent, prescription drug dependent. Others struggle with alcohol, methamphetamine, and cocaine addiction. Do you have a chronic pain problem? There is another way out. Tune in each Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern Time, for a new prescription for health with Dr. Richard Gracer on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel.
0: Radio that talks with you, not at you. Voice America, Women's Radio Network.
1: You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on the Voice America Women's Channel. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. Welcome
2: back to The Catherine Zox Show. I'm Catherine Zox. with Lauren Deller, my co-host, and you're listening to Voice America Women's Network. I'm your social worker with the microphone. Thanks for joining us this morning. Lauren, uh, you know the topic is taking the plunge and i think all our guests this morning fit into that arena in terms of the books they've written um and i don't know if you were on the show lauren when when uh, I, I i had ellen spragan she's our next guest um and she was author of new york times best selling um book what i know now now she's written a second book if i'd known then and these is a tongue twister i have to say ellen women in their 20s and 30s write letters to the younger selves and uh she asked women under 40 so that leaves us out long. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <it> does.
1: <laughs> yeah, you
2: by a hair, me by a long shot. Uh, under 40, to write letters to the girls they once were, letters filled with the advice and wisdom they wish they possessed when they were younger. And some That's of them are still book. young. I mean, uh, welcome to the show, Ellen. Nice to have you on this morning. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you. Yeah, you're here with two baby boomers bo- at both ends of the spectrum. So, But we're too uh, old to have contributed to the second book. Mm-hmm.
3: Um
2: because some of the women are young. I mean, the, the ones that I were was p- were particularly interested in were the two, the athletes. I'm always interested in, in women athletes and, you know, mm-hmm. what propels them to, you know, go to the top. Like Sasha Cohen, you have her in the book. Um, what, I mean, she's only 24 or 25 now. Mm-hmm. So she's writing to herself, what, five or six years ago.
6: hmm well, you know, she's she her letter and her message was actually kind of an interesting one to me. I thought, as well as Amanda Borden, who is an Olympic gymnast in the book, and Amy Mullins, who is a Paralympic uh, medal winner and world record holder. Uh, Sasha's message is really about trust, and and the way I understood it is that she, uh, you know, she obviously like like all of these athletes of this caliber, practiced intensely and heavily year in, year out. And her message is about the moment of performing to learn to be in that moment and trust the next one to follow, not to think ahead, to to be very present in your performance and doing yeah. that. And the reason I, you know, so she obviously, she may be only 24, but she knows a heck of a lot about that time uh, and what she needed to know about performance. But I thought there was a correspondence actually between her message and Amanda's
2: and um, Amy Mullins as well. You mean a similar, a very similar kind of message when she, you know, Sasha Cohen, and do we say she's, she's um, everybody, I mean I assume everybody knows who she is, but she's that Olympic skier that I'm, I'm just always mesmerized every time I see her skating. But that, that, that message of trusting yourself, and I think that's so key, because that's I think one thing that women in particular, and this is a women's, woman's show, Um, or we gear our our show towards women, we don't trust ourselves. I mean, and I think when we're younger, we're always concerned with things that really perhaps, and I think Sasha points that out, or you point that out in your interview with her in the book, I mean, the letter that she writes, the the stuff that we focus on, not just trusting our own judgment, really gets in the way of our performance and going ahead. So really trust what you're doing. True, And, and
6: you're really raising one of the themes that has come up fairly consistently in both books. I mean, every letter has a particular context of the way each woman was raised and what she was struggling with at the point at which she is aiming her letter. But listening to yourself and trusting are fairly consistent themes, and I think it's very interesting because we are never really taught how to do that. I mean, there are techniques in meditation and and other alternative ways to do it. But of course, you need to find your own way. And yet, it's something that I, I nobody ever took me along and said, hey, Ellen, this is how you do it. You know, this is one of the ways that works, is to sit with yourself, sit quietly and listen. And uh, But it is. It is a very important practice, I think.
2: Yeah. And I, I just want to quote uh, uh, another <laughs> quote from her because she said, Thinking and worrying are the nemesis of perfection, and so give everything you have to this moment. I mean, that's so important. To me, it is, anyway. I think that that really is is the key to one's success, whatever you define as success, and that's what she was able – that was her letter to her younger self. And what I loved about uh, Amanda Borden's letter,
6: which is not the same point but sort of related, is she – loved, loved, loved gymnastics. And then when she got a little bit older, a little bit more into a competitive level at about 15, she found herself clutching and having all kinds of problems and she realized unlike a lot of athletes who really just thrive and flourish on intense competition wanting to beat the other people, she was not made up that way. Her, She needed to learn how to have fun again and find the joy in gymnastics, and that, that would allow her to compete better. And that's just so contrary to, I think, the way we think of these hyper-successful athletes and talented women.
2: Do you think there's a difference here again, in gender differences, Ellen, between men and women in terms of that? You know, that um, uh, women respond differently, women athletes respond differently to this intense pressure and this intense competition than, than the, the young men do?
6: I think sometimes there is a difference. I think there are plenty of, of very accomplished athletes who just really thrive on that competition. But, for example, Julie Foudy, who's an Olympic soccer player in the book, uh, she also, I mean, her, her key message, I'm sure she loved the idea of her team beating another team, but what she really emphasizes apart from the fact that she doesn't need to look like the really cool girls and she will eventually grow boobs. <laughs> apart from that, she... She, yeah, she said him, she always
2: looked like a man, but she'd wear these big hoop earrings. She looked so that, like a
6: boy, yeah. yeah. Because she had that a...
2: athletic body. And she, I mean, there's a picture of her. She's like that real picture of health, obviously. But uh... Right, but she
6: wanted to be one of the cool girls. And even even she sort of felt like she didn't fit in. But her message is a lot about the connection she finds and will find with her teammates. And so as an athlete, that's sort of the primary emphasis that comes out of her letter, as you say, not not being better than everyone else. So I do think there probably is some gender differences. And I, I think, think Ellen,
2: I just, and she's a good example. Yeah. I liked hers because also she says, you know, you're talking about she was always concerned about her, or too concerned perhaps about her looks, her boobs were too small. Uh, so, she says, "Put on that padded bra and fake it till you make it." But besides that, <laughs> uh, she looks are temporary. Remember that, ladies. Looks are temporary. She says, but your strengths are not. And feeling awkward is temporary. And you know, concave boobs are temporary. But all that other stuff, the, com- the competing and the sweating, is not. And I think that's such an important message.
6: I know. I know that that the, it really is filled with uh, so many messages that I think we can all use but I I have to say I think for young women who are in middle school high school or college I just the main thing I guess I would want them to know after having interviewed all these women and worked with them on their letters is no one feels normal or like they fit in even the class presidents and the cheerleaders and the, the girls you look at in the most sort of envious way inside there's something they they have the same kind of feeling that you do i mean it's sort of funny that everybody feels they're not the same as everyone else but that's the same thing that everyone else is feeling
2: yeah that's that's sort of the unifying theme or thread that goes through each one of these stories don't you think or each one of these letters from these young these women
6: it definitely uh, is and 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 sort of the companion thought to that is You know, they don't fit in, and the desperate desire is to fit in and be like everyone else. I mean, Maya Harrison, I don't know if you read her letter, but she is a singer-songwriter. It's the most poignant image I have. She writes to herself about something she used to do. She couldn't afford, her parents couldn't afford designer clothes, so she didn't have any guest jeans, which were the hot item, but she did have a guest logo, which she took off and sewed on to a new pair of jeans each night before school the next day so that people thought she was, had a whole wardrobe of guest jeans.
2: She's a very creative young woman. <laughs> <laughs> and she can sew. And that's probably the one thing that all the listeners are going to remember because after the show, def, you know, get one of those logos and put them on your... Uh, you know walmart jeans i guess right uh, <laughs> if you want to yeah yeah that's a very cool idea uh i like that one but um uh, any that stood i mean i i sort of i think i honed in on the ones that really stood out for me uh what about for you i mean what which was there any one of these young, young women who are talking to their even younger selves that had more meaning for you than 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 uh, than others i mean is there one person one young woman oh you
6: know i found a, so many of them extremely moving and uh, validating at the same time. I I was surprised, for example, that Jessica Alba, who you would think never had a problem in her life, was really bullied and had a terrible time in school and actually was driven to be an actress because she could get out of school and eventually got enough, enough roles and had enough money to be able to hire a tutor rather than have to attend school. I was really moved by the story of Atusa Rubenstein, who founded Cosmo Girl, she was an immigrant uh, from Iran, and she was just persecuted really uh, in once she got to seventh grade by a junior and his friends and eventually started a magazine, Cosmo Girl, partly to be inclusive about of girls like the girls she had been. And so that trend or that theme of women actually having fairly profound experiences in their teens really affecting who they became as women and what they did with their field and in their life, that surprised me. I guess I thought that some of those really intense experiences that shape us professionally come later
2: in college,
6: or and, in, and you know, I think sometimes
2: there's the illusion. I know as a mother, I don't have girls, I have boys, but that you know you want to make everything right and good for them and make it comfortable. And sometimes that is really not what motivates people to go on and do the the kinds of things that you're describing. I mean, this you know Cosmo girls. Um, sometimes you need some of that adversity, and if you take it and handle it in the right way, when you're a young woman, uh, it, there's a wealth of information and stuff that really motivates you to be very successful.
6: It really shapes you in an interesting way. In fact, I'm inviting people to send me their letters to their younger self, uh, and I'm going to be publishing one a month um, on my on my website, which is
2: oh, letters- tell us now because we've got one minute to go. So let's get that out there.
6: Okay, it's letters to my younger dot com, and there will be actually groups of women are also book clubs and church groups and. Other groups are writing their own letters to their younger selves and then reading them to each other after they read the book, and that has been really fun. So I want to publish some of those as well. So individual letters to your younger self, please enter the contest if you want, or groups if you'd like to send me your photos and your letters that you shared with each other. I'd love to hear about those.
2: All right. So what? So we go to what website to do that?
6: Letters to my younger self dot
2: com. Letters to my younger self dot com also by the book, if I had known then, women in their twenties and thirties write letters to their younger selves. Ellen Spragan's great having you on the show as always. It was a Thank yeah, you. it was great. Good luck and good luck with those new letters. I know, it'll be yeah. fun. I can't That's wait to see them. Very cool. And we're gonna take a break right now and uh, when we come back we have Andrew Leckman, author of Leisureville, and Roseanne Olson, award-winning photographer. This is Who I Am. I'm Catherine Zox with Lauren Beller on Voice America Women's Network. Thank you for joining us this morning.
0: Talk radio that informs, entertains, and enlightens you. Voice America Women's Radio Network.
7: TheLayne.com presents Jack LaLayne Live on the Voice America Health and Wellness Radio Network. Each week, Jack is joined by Elaine Lelane and his nephew, bodybuilder, kinesiologist, and personal trainer, Chris Lelane to answer your questions and help you overcome your fitness roadblocks. That's three times the diet and fitness know-how. Three times the entertainment. Tune in every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific to Jack LaLayne Live on the Voice America Health and Wellness Radio Network. We all have issues, parenting, addictions, disorders, anxiety, stress. How do we expand on what's working and improve what's not? Let Quantum Leaps with Beth Wilson bring you a high-energy approach to personal growth and creative life change. Listen every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Women's Channel. Let Beth bring you back to sanity with a blend of humor and perspective so you can make the change you need. Quantum Leaps with Beth Wilson, Thursday stays at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time here on Voice America Women's Channel. For the most current and up-to-date information and options in childbearing, family health, and parenting, tune in to Celestia Renese's Timely Topics in Childbirth, broadcasting every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the Voice America Women's Channel. If you don't know your options, you don't have any. We don't beat you over the head
0: with our opinion. And we listen to yours, the new face of talk radio, Voice America Women's Radio Network.
1: You're listening to The Catherine Zoc Show on the Voice America Women's Channel. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll free number is 866 472 5788. That number again is 866 472 5788.
2: Welcome back to the Catherine Socks Show. I'm Catherine Sock with my co-host Lauren Zeller, and you're listening to Voice America Women's Network, and I'm your social worker with a microphone. So, Lauren, what did you think? I think she was brilliant. I Ellen love Spragans. that. Ellen so Spragans, if anybody I, is I, joining us, I have to say it again. We just interviewed Ellen Spragans, and she's the author of, if I'd known then, uh, women in their 20s and 30s write letters to their younger selves. Um, okay, so anybody just joining us, that's what we're talking about, the, her new book. It's just brilliant. I thought it was such a great way to give advice to people. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Yeah, because it makes it real and all of these very successful, and they are still young women. I mean, they're in their 20s and 30s, but they're going back maybe 10 years at the most. And uh, writing letters to themselves, giving themselves advice when they were in middle school or high school or even college as to what to do and to maybe avoid some of the the stuff that they didn't have to go through the pitfalls of of um, uh, what they felt kind of like concerned with your looks. All the same stuff that us ordinary ladies are concerned with, you know, and you don't expect people, uh, athletes like Sasha Cohen to be worried about those kinds of things.
3: The thing that's interesting is
2: when we take the time to do that
3: exercise, I think that we actually step more deeply into it now. So they'll, in my opinion, after they wrote such a letter, they're going to, whatever they wrote about, they became more conscious of. So I think that they're going to live it more, even in their 20s and 30s now that they're older. They might not have been aware of it before they wrote that letter.
2: I think you're right. And you know what? That sort of brings up something. Wouldn't it be a good idea for all of us to, uh, like every five years, sit down? You know, we're always talking about writing down our vision for the future and what we want to do and our goals and those kinds of things, but what? But this is kind of the opposite of that. Um, every five years or every year, if you want to, talk about what the, the past and, you know, the lessons learned from the past and then what you can do to, you know, so that you can go on and, and uh, rectify those for the future.
3: Exactly. I love it. I love the concept. See, that would fit into your coaching. It totally would. Well, actually, we do that in some ways. We call it the um, future self. So, your future older self um, t- speaks to your current self. So, it's a very similar exercise because you project out your wisdom that you may even have 10 years from now. And people already have it, but they don't know they have it. So, okay, expl- as a
2: coach, explain to me the process. Well, now you can't because we have our next guest. <laughs> so you're off the hook, or not totally off the hook, because you are going to have to explain to us the process, because we do have our next guest, Andrew Blackman. And this is an interesting. I loved his book, by the way. I, I just finished it yesterday. Leisureville, Adventures in America's Retirement Utopias. Uh, and uh, Andrew, I mean this is, is author of Pigeons Which was a New York Times bestseller Explores the growing phenomenon of age-segregated housing And the way it is reshaping our idea of retirement This is really interesting, he talks about geratopia Seniors living out their golden years in these places like the villages One of his neighbors, he lives in western Massachusetts I think Andrew moved to one of these places So that mm-hmm. sparked his interest Welcome to the show, nice to have you on Andrew
8: Thank you very much
2: couldn't find you did we thought maybe you went to the villages and you were <laughs> living in that utopian community but you are too young
8: um <laughs> yes absolutely <laughs> it's
2: fascinating i like the way you write the book too cuz it's a fun read but it's also you know lots of information so tell us what is this whole trend for baby you know what 77 million baby boomers heading to these Uto geratopias
8: yeah they're heading to these geratopias or leisurevilles it's um it's an unusual trend. It's the first time in human history uh, that that, that el- our elders have self-segregated like this. Um, it's uh, It started with Sun City, basically, in uh, Arizona about 50 years ago. But it's a trend that was basically kind of sleepy for a while, so to speak. And it has exploded in popularity just in the last handful of years. And the popularity is just beginning. Um, it's estimated that 12 million Americans will soon live like this in, within this decade. And um, uh, I think that's a very conservative estimate basically what it is is these, these are communities where where you have to be fifty five or older or at least one person in the household does you can have someone younger than that, but one person has to be at least fifty five and no children are allowed no one under eighteen period uh, if the child's orphaned or or whatever that they, they can't come to live with you, you would be evicted and but,
2: and, and can you have grandchildren come to visit or are there oh yeah absolutely limitations yeah
8: no, no, children can come visit but um they're they get guest passes and they time out a lot like international visas.
2: And so you're in this community with people, 50, most of them obviously, 55 and older, unless maybe you're 55 and have a 20-year-old wife, I guess you could do that. but um, So what is that? Go ahead, describe it. What's me. it like? Yeah, I mean, to me it <laughs> well, seems horrific.
8: Well, for some people it's absolutely a utopia. For others it's the last place we'd ever want to live in a million years. It really depends on who you are. Let me describe the one that I, that I profile in Florida. It's the world's, it's called The Villages. It's about an hour north of Orlando. It's the world's largest retirement community. It is one and a half times the size of Manhattan. It's gated. It, uh, ha- it, will, have, it will have a population of 110,000 people. Um, it has two uh, make-believe downtowns, and they're working on a third, which have historical markers uh, that are 200 years old, but the towns themselves are just a few years old. Uh, it has uh, music pumped out of lampposts and fake rocks. It has 100 miles of golf cart trails, so you can take your golf cart everywhere. It has—I um, mean, it's just—it's big.
2: <laughs> it's, it's big. Does it feel, Andrew? Does it feel like when you're describing it and having read the book, like a movie set? I mean, it—it
8: was it like something out of the Truman Show. I mean, yeah. or, or Logan's Run. I don't really. <laughs> <laughs>
2: That's right, Logan's Run. Uh, what, how did you feel when you were there? How long were you there?
8: I spent about a month there, as well as uh, several weeks at Sun City. Basically, how did I feel? I, you know, it was unusual. Um, part of it was, you know, part of it was just difficult to digest. I mean, I, I knew I'd been there a while when I started pulling up my golf cart to the lamppost to catch the headlines.
2: <laughs> they weren't <laughs> going to let you out of that gated community. <laughs>
8: it, it's something like out of, uh, I, I, I liken it to basically uh, National Lampoon's permanent vacation. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, I, I think Chevy Chase is, is certainly old enough to live in there at this point.
2: Oh, he definitely is. He's older yeah. than I am.
8: <laughs> it, it's a very, very unusual time. I mean, at first it was, you know, I, I was kind of an early bird, getting up early and running around doing a lot of interviews. But eventually I started living the lifestyle when I realized a certain number of them, like, like one of my favorite characters is named Mr. Midnight, and he's basically an elder Adonis and the women call him that, uh, Mr. Midnight. And, you know, he, he's, Mr., he's mainly nightlife. And so I ended up, uh, once I got, I got kind of bored watching people play golf. So I would uh, I would go out with the nightlife in these make believe downtowns, and there was one particular popular bell call, uh, bar called Katie Bells, and we would hang out there. But last call was at 9:30, at which point I was wondering if I should rename him Mr.
2: 9:30.
8: <laughs> <laughs>
2: but you say in the I mean they do have a sex life there. It's it's I mean it's absolutely.
8: Nothing, yeah. In fact, you know, I remember one 75 year old woman had asked me if I had ever heard of the term meat market.
3: <laughs> I, I
8: told her once or twice. <laughs> The, uh, you know, after the Katie Bells, they all either go over to each other's pads. I mean, don't forget, no one works. It's like a college campus with no classes. So Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, they're all the same. So every night you can go out and just have fun. They're, 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 you have no responsibilities left. A lot of people pay cash for their houses. They're not ex- necessarily extravagant homes. And they, they drive their golf carts everywhere. No one really leaves campus. So, you know, after Katie Bells, we head over to a, a karaoke bar that was on campus. So if you drove drunk in a golf cart, it didn't much matter. Although there are golf cart fatalities, believe it or not.
2: Are there really? Are yeah. There people I believe... crashing into each other and killing each other on yeah, their golf
8: carts? They, they seem to average <laughs> three or four a year. I mean, it's hard to believe, but it's true. Yes, yeah, so they roll them by accident. Where they uh, they crash head on into each other or someone will run over someone else on a, on a narrow path. Um, but <laughs> it's hard to believe, but it's true. And, and then they would go to karaoke bars until about 1 o'clock in the morning. And, uh, you know, and, and kind of, you know, sauce it up. But, you know, it's true. The, the Actually, the, the, the elder demographic is the highest growing uh, demographic when it comes to sexually transmitted diseases. I mean, it's kind of a little-known statistic, but they're just about the highest at-risk group at this point. Basically, because, you know, you're not going to get pregnant, so why use uh, protection?
2: Amazing. You know, it makes sense, too. I mean... You're right. You're not going to get pregnant so you figure it's okay and and then you, um
8: but and you have a lot of time on your hands. <laughs>
2: you have a lot of time on your hands and sex is sex, so you know, you try Oh, and so, let me ask you. What kind of person we have what kind of personality? I mean, is there a certain personality that would want to live in this kind of homogenous not kind of homogenized community? I mean, yeah,
8: it's about 98% white. Yeah. Um Kind of person? Um, well, I'd say a broad swath of Americans would, would be my best answer. You be uh, you might be surprised by just how many people are attracted to this. I mean, this is the housing spot suite sector, and we're talking about a down market, and this is still growing. Um, this is how this may be the default lifestyle for people you know uh, who are considering retirement. You know, if, if they don't remain where they are, this may well be the default.
2: Well, Andrew, are they unimaginative? Unimaginative people? I mean, do you have people like actors and authors? I mean, they're all white. That's not too imaginative, 98%. But what about in terms of, like, what they've done in their past life? I mean, are they... Well, you know,
8: it's interesting. It's easy to stereotype the folks that way, but there really are a lot of wonderful people down there. I really grew to like a lot of the people I met. Andrew, you're on your
2: way. I can tell already.
8: (laughs) No, no. I I, I love... I I have a little daughter, and I I love an age-integrated... It's funny to call it that. Age-integrated community. I live in a a small community in Massachusetts, and you know I hang out with people of all ages, including my neighbors who are in their 70s. And same thing with our town government—you get people in their 30s and people in their 70s.
2: And that, you know, if you look at all the, you know, I'm a therapist, social worker. You know, the literature says that in order to remain healthy, the healthiest people live in in communities that have young people and old people and where there's a mix. And especially if you're older, it's good to hang out with young people.
8: You know, you know, I'm not, you know it, it, that's one way to look at it. It's certainly healthy, I think, for everybody. But I think, you know, or certainly for, for, for the for the older citizens. But I, I think it another way to look at it is really healthy for society. I think segregation is never a good thing. I mean, look, look at, I mean, I can't name one time in history when segregation was a good thing. I mean, the only thing I can think of is temporary segregation, like quarantine, when someone has the influenza. But segregating, you know, uh, different generations seems like... I mean, w- when you segregate people, they, you know, they, they forget what they have in common. I mean, that, that's, just, that's just how it works. And a perfect example, and I, I call it the... I go to uh, Sun City in Arizona, which is one of the very first uh, age-segregated communities in human history, and look at it 50 years later. It's not aging well, first of all. Second of all, yes. the, the canary in the coal mine really was that Sun City defeated 17 school bond measures in, in 12 years. The kids... Right outside the community, uh, the same district, the kids outside the community were going to school in staggered shifts, mainly in, in trailers that doubled as classrooms. And the message there is, you know, we don't care about your children. We don't care yeah. about anybody outside the gate. So
2: it's stagnation, or, I mean, in a way. As, I mean, that's. Well, it, yeah.
8: uh, it, it's stagnation. It's also strife. I mean, you're looking yeah. at generational strife. I mean, how generous are those kids going to be when they grow up and, and, and they're asked to be. Uh, Paying for you know ten trillion dollars in national debt from from uh, from you know living large you know on on the from the Reagan era, you know the boomers lived large. How, you know how generous are they going to be when it comes? Not very. You but, know, uh, I hate but, to
2: say I could go on. This is so fat I love this and I want to, You know, listeners have to get your book Leisureville: Adventures in America's Retirement Utopia. Andrew Blackman, go to your website too, right? AndrewBlackman dot com. Absolutely. Yeah terrific i you know i have to have you back on the show cuz there's just a lot of more topics and issues that your book, book you know we're just starting to get into more stuff that it brings up and i'm fascinated with this whole concept anyway have a great day watch out don't go to back to the village <laughs> back to leisureville hey, you have to be careful anyway, have a great day thanks Andrew
8: thank you very much
2: i'm Catherine Sox your social worker with a microphone with Lauren Beller we'll be back in a minute
5: Let's face it, hormones happen. Whether you are male or female, hormones have an impact on your overall well-being. Dr. Hart brings to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel timely topics that answer your lifelong questions about hormones in men, women, and teens. Tune in to Optimal Wellness every Monday at 12 o'clock p.m. Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Optimal Wellness. Live life well. Live life long. Live life to the fullest
2: Socks with Lauren Beller, and uh, I'm your social worker with a microphone. Thanks for joining us this morning. And joining us as my last guest, as our last guest, is Roseanne Olson. She's author of This Is Who I Am, Our Beauty in All Shapes and Sizes. Um, Fifty-four women in her book appear with dignity and comfort in moving photographs moving photographs that convey confidence and generosity, accompanied by touching essays that are tender, personal, and moving and all of these women they are not professional models if you get the book um, you may think that they are because they in in a way they do look like professional models they're doctors lawyers writers artists they range from age 19 to 95 and they represent all body types and ethnicities and uh, Roseanne uh, lives in Seattle Washington and she is an award-winning photographer nice to have you on the show this morning oh thank you so much Great to have you! What a book! I love the book. Went through uh, each one of the photographs and the story because usually you don't always get a story that accompanies the uh, the photograph.
9: I know. I think uh, when we look at people in the world, we we uh, we don't often get to connect with their stories. So I I just really like having pictures and and words together.
2: Now, Roseanne, when you took these photographs, I mean, some of these women have what we would call, you know, fantastic bodies, and they're uh-huh. young, and others are very much overweight, Mm -hmm. Um, one of them has breast cancer. I mean, it's just all kinds of women, right, Mm -hmm. ethnicities. What made you decide to do this?
9: Well, I've always been very interested when I walk down the street and look at people. I'm always interested in what the story is behind the person, and we don't often get to connect in that way. And also, um, if you want to know the story of how the book started, it started because I had a client who wanted me to do her portrait, And uh, she wanted to lose weight. She didn't feel like she looked perfect enough. But before she was able to lose the 15 pounds or so, she got diagnosed with breast cancer and asked me to do a nude of her before she had surgery. And so I thought, you know, it's really a shame that we don't appreciate how beautiful we are, you know, at any time, no matter what state our life is in, just to get people thinking about, you know the
2: preciousness of what we have, the gift of what what we have already. You're so right. I think we it takes this kind of a crisis, is what you're saying. And why should it? Why don't we appreciate our bodies as is? Right. Uh, and as women, we don't seem to be able to do that for whatever reasons. But um, so you took a photograph of her before. She had to trust you. I mean, there has to be. You know, you have. To, I mean, your relationship with her, for her to ask you to do that, um, there has to be some level of trust with with the person who is being photographed and the photographer. So you must have developed that kind of a relationship beforehand.
9: I, well, I did, and, and and I did with all the women in the book. Um, it's not an easy thing to take your clothes off in front of a camera uh, when you've never done anything like that before. and So there was trust building for every single picture for every
2: woman that was in the book. What about the – there are some pictures of and, – and this is probably – to me, maybe the most controversial. You have women with their children, uh-huh. young daughters, naked. Mm-hmm. I mean, covering up maybe their genitalia or their breasts, but still they're naked. And mm-hmm. um, you know, as I was showing the the and I've been showing your book around the photographs. I think that was the that kept coming up. I mean, that was one of the issues. Well, why would this mother take a you know photograph her young children? Isn't that um, you know exposing them to things that perhaps they never gave permission to do.
9: <laughs> you know that never came up. Never came up. It's interesting.
2: Different. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, really.
9: No, and, and I think that for each mother, they felt very strongly they wanted their their children to grow up with an appreciation of the body, and we as Americans tend to be a little bit puritanical about how we how we see the body. But it's odd
2: because I think we definitely are. It's not even a little bit. A lot.
9: All right, but it's, it's, it's true, but look at what we have on, on prime time television. Yeah. We have uh runaway models wearing uh underwear on on prime time T V in the evening for um uh, you know i and, and that's acceptable. That's acceptable to us, but to look at the body uh, as a, a beautiful thing uh is is makes people squeamish a little bit. Yeah. It I does. think it's just
2: odd. Yeah, I think it's odd, too, and I think uh, that's why I brought it up, because, I Mm -hmm. mean, you have this book of beautiful photographs, beautifully done, and as you say, they're just, uh, um, you know, accepting your natural body, and yet Mm -hmm. um, people take issue with it, and then you see these horrific things on television, movies, you can go on and on. uh, (laughs) Exactly. And that's okay.
9: Right. So my hope was just to get, you know, if if people find that, that having children in the book, which... You know, the parents uh, were all very comfortable, and if the if the kids wanted to keep their clothes on, they could do that, um, but nothing is revealed, really, just there's a sense of revelation. But, but more than anything else, I'm hoping that this book will promote conversation, uh, and if it does that,
2: then I think I've done my job you have done your job and it does promote conversation uh, at least you know and uh, you know i've showed it to friends and colleagues and family and everybody mm-hmm. has a different response i mean mm-hmm. one of the, i had a a family gathering a couple weeks ago and and um one of my older guests said oh, i mean she couldn't she looked at the women who were very heavy in the book and that was such a you know that was one of the oh my you know how could they do that you know or <laughs> want to expose themselves and uh, interesting. Very different. Ki- it does. It sets up all different kinds of conversations. And uh, and these women, I think this is this is just a Angela. I'm looking at Angela, 35, because right. she's a young woman.
9: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and the whole social stigma of being overweight. Um mm-hmm. And then you have them in these beautiful photographs.
9: It. You know, for the women in the book too, I think uh, many of them have told me that they found the actual doing of it for themselves to be transformative one of the heavier women named june uh wrote to me later and she said you know i i have always been so uncomfortable with how i look and she said i'm an opera singer and a jazz singer and i decided that i i've always limited myself from performing she said and, and i've decided that i'm just going to go out and perform it doesn't i don't care what people think about me and uh so it it really helped her get out of her out of her own prison a little bit
2: now the uh, how long did you know this whole process of photographing these ladies and we have 2 minutes left but like in in terms of how many photographs did you take and you know what's the process i mean was that was that weeks of work on one person or one woman um
9: usually what would happen is this i would uh interview the women first And I found that was necessary because the photographs are easy and the the interview is very, very difficult because it was very much looking inside and and thinking about who are we really. And so I collected the interviews first. Then the photo session usually took about two hours, and it was a very kind of like a leaf unfolding. It was a very uh, gentle and um, uh, unthreatening process. Uh, very enjoyable for almost everybody, and we only took it to where uh, everyone's comfort level was. We started out with clothing, or not with clothing, but with a black robe, silk robe, and then they could use fabric if they wanted to, and then if they felt like dropping the fabric, we would do that. And then they also sat in with me on the editing, so we sat in front of the computer and looked at each and every picture and ended up with maybe four. I probably took a hundred pictures of each woman.
2: Well, and I, every, I want my listeners and I, uh, to purchase the book because it's a great book. We have a minute to go. This is who I am: our beauty in all shapes and sizes. Roseanne Olson. It's a fabulous book. You're a wonderful photographer, and, and thanks so much for being on the show.
9: Oh, thank you. I really appreciate it.
2: Great, Lauren. <laughs> we have to say goodbye. Uh, That's Lou. Her- Yeah, (laughs) have a great week. I did fly. I've got so much more to talk about. We need an extra, we need another hour. Anyway, Lauren Beller, Catherine Zox, Voice America Women's Network. Have a great day and we'll both see you next week.
1: We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of the Catherine Zox Show. You can listen live every Thursday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific time on the Voice America Women's Channel. Want to know more about Catherine? Visit her website at www.catherinezox.com. Be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversation with Catherine Zox.